But remain standing with me as we go to the book of Mark chapter 9, beginning at verse 14. As we go there this morning, the Word of God says, When they returned, the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them. And some teachers of the religious law were arguing with them. And when the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe, and they ran to greet him. What's all this arguing about, Jesus asked. And one of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He's possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever this spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and he grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out this evil spirit, but they could not do it. Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion. He fell to the ground and noticed still foaming at the mouth. Verse 21, Jesus asked, How long has this been happening? And he replied, Since he was a little boy, the Spirit often throws him into the fire or into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. And Jesus asked, What do you mean, if I can? Anything is possible if a person believes. And the father instantly cried out, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And when Jesus saw the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit and he said, listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear or speak. He said, I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. I want to highlight this. He says, and never enter him again. Say this with me, never again. It's important that you guys get this. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into a violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as people said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, helped him to his feet, and he stood up. And afterward, when Jesus was alone within the house with his disciples, he asked them, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out this evil spirit? And Jesus replied, this kind can be cast out only by prayer. Only by prayer. Let's, let's pray this morning. Father, bless this service. Bless those who are here this morning, who came to hear your word. Use me in a mighty way, Father. For those that are listening online as well, Lord, I pray that this word would help us, encourage us, and teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. As I read this passage of Scripture, what stood out was the fact that when Jesus cast this evil spirit out of this young boy, Jesus said, not only did he say, get out, he said, and never come back again. That's what complete deliverance looks like. I want to speak to you this morning, once and for all in this hell series, 
as we come to a close, the greatest tool that the enemy uses, but I'm not going to tell you exactly what that is yet. As I read this passage, it reminded me of this story that I want to tell you. But over in, in Europe, every year, the best chess players from all around the world gather to compete against each other. And as these chess players compete with one another, this particular place where they meet is interesting because in the lobby of this place, there is a famous painting, and this is what it looks like. I want to show you this painting for a moment. And here is that painting. And it depicts actually Satan. This is a picture of Satan playing chess against a common person. And in this painting, this this demonic-looking man that represents the devil, he seems to appear to be confident because when you look at this painting, it's titled Checkmate. And if anyone plays chess, you know that checkmate is the ultimate goal against your opponent. It means it's over. It's The game has been won. I defeated you. So as you look at this painting, it appears as though Satan has won. And you look at this man, and he seems utterly hopeless and defeated. And when you look at this painting and entitled Checkmate, it really symbolizes defeat with no escape. You see, when you look about the game of chess, it's all about strategy. It's all about your opponent advancing against you, trying to get your king cornered. And if that opponent can get you on Checkmate, it's over. And if you play the right strategy, he'll get you to a point where you have no other moves, no other options, and you have to quit, and you are defeated. And it reminds me of what Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 says. The Bible says a final word, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. I want you to pay attention here because the Bible warns us that the devil has a strategy. And this strategy is to fight against you. This strategy is to cause you to feel defeated. This strategy is really causing you to feel like it's hopeless. And the devil has the right moves. The devil makes the right choices. The devil has the right strategy to put you up against the corner to a point where you feel defeated, hopeless, and lost. The devil wants the strategy to fight not only against you, but I believe that the devil wants to fight against your own children. Did you notice in the Bible what the story we read that Jesus asked the man, how long has this attack been happening? And the father says, since childhood? You see, Satan is after our own children. Satan is after the family. Satan is trying to fight against the marriage. Satan is trying to fight against your finances, your health, your faith. He's putting this strategy together to really put you to a position where like this painting, as we go back to that painting, like this painting, you notice that the man looks utterly hopeless. 
You see in this painting that it's discouraged. You see in this painting that this man has no escape and Satan looks upon this man with such confidence and it's almost like he's saying, I got you. It's over. Give up now. Stop trying. There's no way out. There's no coming out of this one. There's no escape. And when you look at this common man in this painting that was painted in the 18th century, this man's face reminds me of a lot of us. It reminds me of a lot of you maybe in this church. This man reminds me of us because I wonder how many of you right now are going through such hardship, such difficulty. And as your pastor, I get a behind-the-scenes look at your personal life, and I know that the devil is after you. I know that this month alone, the devil has attacked my family. I know that he has attacked many people here. And you're going through hardships, and you're going through situations, and you're going through struggles, and you're suffering, and you have so much trouble all around you, that like this man, you feel like putting your head down. You feel like it's over. You feel like the devil has won. Because I want to be honest, in the house of God this morning, sometimes in my own life, and in my family's life, and I know that in your life, sometimes it does feel like the devil's winning. Can I get a witness? Sometimes it feels like the devil's won. Sometimes I look at a situation and I feel like there's no coming out of this one. This is it. It is over. There is no coming out. It is game over. Checkmate. No escape. Not getting out. Stop trying. Stop believing. Give up. Don't pray. Don't ask God. This situation is the situation where the devil says, I've won. It's over. And like this man in the painting, maybe you walked into this church with your head down. And like this man in the painting, you lived your life discouraged, depressed, sadness all around you because you feel like the situation you're in has no escape, no way out. But see, one year, during the annual chess tournament, there was this famous Russian player that during a break, he wandered off to the lobby. Put the picture back up, please. He wandered off to the lobby and he noticed this painting that everyone's been always talking about for since the 18th century. And he took a hard look at the painting. And he looked at the chessboard. And as he stood there, he noticed that even though the painting was titled Checkmate, it was further from the truth. He noticed that for years upon years and centuries, the people have been lied to about this painting. Because as he looked at this painting, he noticed that the king was not in fact on checkmate. 
but that the king had one more move. And this man ran throughout all the chess players and he shouted like a madman, the king has one more move. The king has one more move. It's a lie. It's wrong. It's not true. The king has one more move. And when I heard this story, I felt compared to tell Ford Fellowship that our king is the king of kings and he always has one more move. So it doesn't matter what the devil tells you. It doesn't matter what you're going through when the God says I am the king of kings and the lord of lords whatever you're up against God always has the last move God always has the last word and you may feel like you're up against the wall you may feel like there's no coming out of this one. You may feel like you're in the fight of your life and the devil, you have won and you might, have, you might be tempted to wave the flag and surrender and say, devil, you can have my marriage. You can have my family. You can have my health. You can have my possessions. You can have my happiness. It's over. But what if God has brought you here, not by accident, but to tell you, I have one more move left. And it's a lie. Whenever you tell yourself, I'm not going to get out of this one. It's a lie when you say, it's over, it's never going to get better, it's never going to change, the devil's won. So maybe like this common man, it may appear like the devil stands on you confidently saying it's over, give up, stop believing. But what if God says to you this morning, I have one more move. When I read the Bible, I read of great men in God and great women of God that felt like they were on checkmate. It looked like it was over. But God had one more move. I thought about the nation of Israel when they left Egypt and they were overwhelmed with joy because they thought they were on their way to a promise and a better life and a life of blessing. But the path led to the Dead Sea. And as they got to the Dead Sea, in between, they reached a dead end. There was no way out. And Pharaoh was coming behind them, ready to destroy them. And they thought that God had led them wrong. They thought that God had deceived them. They thought it was over. Literally, they were in a dead end at the Dead Sea. And God tells Moses, raise up your staff. And put it on the water. And I thought if, if I were Moses, I'd be like, God, it's over. Why? Why do you want me to raise my hands and put the staff in the water? And I imagine God saying to Moses, because I'm the king and I have one more move. And he made a way when there was no way out. I thought about the disciples where they were caught up in the storm and Jesus was asleep. Can you imagine? You're in the crisis of your life. Your ship's going under. You're about to perish and die forever. And you look at Jesus and you might be telling yourself, well, at least Jesus is on the boat. At least we're with Jesus. And you look back at Jesus and he's knocked out of sleep. Does it ever feel like God has just fallen asleep on you? 
The disciples woke him up and said, don't you care? Do you ever feel like just telling God, don't you even care that I'm going through this? They told Jesus, we're going to drown. And when Jesus woke up, he didn't look panicked. He didn't look afraid. He, looked, he didn't look discouraged. Jesus didn't wake up and say, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Jesus calmly woke up. Because Jesus is not worried about what you're worried about today. And he calmed the seas with one word. Showing the disciples that he had one more move. Even Jesus on the cross died for our sins. And that Friday and that Saturday, it looked like it was over. It looked like it was hopeless. But that Sunday when Jesus resurrected and came out of that tomb and he proclaimed salvation for the rest of the world, he let the devil know, I'm the king and I always had one more move. Whatever you're going through this morning, don't be misled to believe that you're at checkmate, that it's over for you. It's over for the desires of your heart and your dreams. It's over for your marriage and your family and your children because you serve a God that says, I'm the king and I always have one more move. That's why I love the story of Mark chapter 9, which we opened up with. We see a man whose son is being attacked by an evil spirit. Now, I can't tell you why this young man was attacked by an evil spirit. I don't know if it's because of what we learned about this month. I can't tell you if the kid was into dark things. I can't tell you it's because he was rebellious and sinful. I can't tell you any of that. I don't know why the devil chose this child to attack. But the truth is, the evil spirit attacked this child. And he grew up under this attack. And I'm not a, a father, but I imagine that the worst pain for any parent is to see your child suffering and you can do nothing about it. Where are my parents at? So imagine how hopeless and powerless this father feels as he looks at his own child and the devil just has them and is attacking them. But what's really sad about this passage is not that the devil was attacking this child. It's when, when Jesus asked, how long has this been happening? Notice what the Father says in verse 17 through 18. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son to you. So you could heal him. He's possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And here's the sad part what this man said. And whenever this spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. And maybe you didn't catch this, but let me highlight this word for you. He said, and whenever this spirit seizes him. Everyone say that with me. Whenever... 
Come on, say it. Whenever the Spirit seizes him. One more time. Whenever. What does that mean? It means that it, won't, it wasn't always like this. It means that there were some days that he was fine. There were some days that he woke up and he was like, Hey, Dad, how are you? I'm going to school today. Everything was fine. There were days that they were eating dinner together at the kitchen table. There were days that they were out in the yard throwing the football. And this is my version of the Bible. There were days that that child was fine. And then there was other days he woke up and he was like, foaming in the mouth. And you think, well, David, that, that's parenting. That's how it is with children. You just don't know what you're going to get. But see, this, this man was telling Jesus, Jesus, this isn't always happening. It's just whenever. There's some good days. There's some bad days. There's some days that everything's happy and fine, but there's some days that just snaps and the devil just grabs him. The devil seizes him. See, this is what's called partial victory. Partial victory means not complete. Partial victory means that there are some days you overcome, there are some days you're good, there are some days you're fine, but then there's other days you go back to the sin, you go back to the bondage, you go back to the destruction. So you're up and down and up and down and down and up and left and right. And it's not always, but there are moments that a lot of us have settled with partial victory in our lives. And let me tell you that the greatest tool the devil loves to use against Christians is the settlement of partial victory. Let me give you an example. Maybe you have partial victory in anger. And there are some days you're fine. There are some days you're peaceful. There are some days you're happy. There are some days you're good. But all it takes is the wrong situation or the wrong person. And then you just snap and your anger seizes you. And you just begin to lash out and break things and say the worst things and destroy people's confidence and feelings and curse out of your mouth. And then you have to apologize and say, I'm sorry, honey. I didn't mean it. It won't happen again. You settle down. You go back to normal, you're happy, it's good, and then you snap again, and it seizes you, and you overcome with anger again, and you say the wrong things, you do the wrong things, you hurt the wrong people, and it's destroying your family, your anger gets the best of you, and then you calm down, and you settle again, and then you snap, and it seizes you, that's not victory, that is partial victory, maybe it's with lust, and there's days you have it under control. Your eyes are fixed on the Lord and your spouse. You don't wander off. You don't look at other women. But then you're bored or then you're stressed. And all of a sudden you're by yourself and you give in and you look at the pornography. You look at the lust. Then you finish and you say, man, I feel terrible. I'm horrible. I can't believe this. You feel ashamed. You ask God to forgive you. You're good for a few weeks, a few days. Then you wander off again and lust seizes you again and you have impure thoughts and then you say I'm sorry and you go back to normal and then you go back to your lust that's partial victory 
Maybe you have partial victory over depression and you're saying, I'm good, I'm happy, I'm peaceful, I'm sleeping, I'm good, I'm smiling. And all it takes is one bad moment, one bad day. You wake up and you're back in your depression, back in your darkness, back in your sadness, hopeless, discouraged, talking negative about yourself and having thoughts of suicide. And then you say, Lord, help me. You've overcome. You feel good. You're back to normal. You're happy. You're smiling. And then it seizes you again and you go back into this depression back with the negative thoughts that is partial victory it can happen with sin and you say well sin god i don't want this sin in my life anymore god i don't want to do this anymore and you overcome it you're good for a while and then the sin just seizes you again this is why it's so sad to me that the man said to jesus whenever it seizes him because god says it's not enough to have partial victory. Partial victory is still bondage. Partial victory is not good enough for God and it should not be good enough for you. Partial victory is dangerous because John 8.36, Jesus says, if the Son sets you free, you are truly free. Other translation says, he who the sun sets free is free indeed. And that word indeed literally means truly, in reality. And I know that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, Pastor. I know that I'm forgiven. I know I'm on my way to heaven. Yes, you have been set free. But let me ask you this question. Are you free indeed? Is freedom from bondage a true reality in your life? Maybe you have partial victory. Many are free in Jesus they're saved, they're born again, they're forgiven, but there's certain sins in your life that you're not free from yet. And it's not true, and it's not a reality in your life. And it's so dangerous, and I say, well, why does the devil want to use partial victory in our lives? Why is partial victory so dangerous? You know, we live in such a sick culture in the church that we celebrate partial victory. Let me give you an example. Have you ever said to yourself, well, praise God, you're not where you need to be, but at least you're not where you used to be. That is the worst advice you can ever give someone. Because you are telling that person, you're not where you need to be, but you should be at least happy that you're getting, you're getting some victory. You're getting better. Tell me in the Bible where Jesus comes across a person that needed a miracle and said, hey, you're not where you need to be, but at least you're not where you used to be. No, when Jesus worked in the life of a person, they were completely healed. Completely set free. John 8, 36 says this, he who the Son sets free is free indeed, is free truly. Jesus said this in the context 
of a woman caught in adultery that was sweeping around, living a life of sin and darkness and immorality. And in John chapter 8, verse 11, what does it mean to be free indeed? Look at what he says to this woman. No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You see, Jesus wasn't telling this woman the impossible task of never sinning again. That's impossible. But what Jesus was telling this woman with that particular sin in your life, when I have set you free from that, you're never going back to that. It's never going to seize you again. It's never going to conquer your life again. That's what it means to be free indeed. That there is a particular attitude, a behavior, a sin, an action in your life that has dominated you, dominated your thinking, destroyed you in your life. But see, when Jesus is done with you you never go back to that again that is why jesus told this evil spirit not only leave this boy but never come back again because god does not want us living in partial freedom never again see the devil wants you to live in partial victory the devil is okay with you just living a life to please God and go to church and pray. But I don't want you to be, to be completely delivered. And I'm afraid that there's so many people in the church that have settled for partial victory. See, yesterday, Jerrica and I, we went to Lion Country Safari. You guys ever been there? crazy place and I'm, I'm having a good time i'm in the car i'm looking at all the animals remember i'm asking the lord why why is partial victory not enough lord isn't it better than complete bondage but it's not and as i'm driving through lion country safari i, I notice that these animals are there and they're sitting down and they're eating and drinking and playing with each other and comfortable and they look free. They, they look happy. Until I found out that Lion Country Safari is a reserve of 600 acres. So even though they look like they're free, you know the truth is they're not. 600 acres keeps them in bondage. But these animals have been born there and they've been there so long, they, they get comfortable with it. And they don't even realize it, but that's what partial victory looks like. You might say to yourself, well, I'm okay, I'm happy, I'm good, but you don't even realize that you're in bondage. And there was one particular moment where we came across these, these chimps, these monkeys. And the narrator in the radio, he, he talked about this one monkey named Bamboo. And when I looked at Bamboo, he had this lip that was really down. He looked sad. He was like... But then the man said, no, chimps do that to demonstrate that they're relaxed. 
and that they're happy and comfortable. And at that moment, it's like God was telling me, this is why partial victory is so dangerous. Because if you're in it long enough where you're good, then you're bad, then you're bad, then you're good, and you say, God, I'm sorry, I won't do it again, but then you do it again, and you go back to God and say, I'm sorry. And if you're saying, well, I'm getting better, it's not as bad, but I'm getting better with it, and you still have a bondage in your life, there comes a point that you settle so much for partial victory that like that monkey, you just get happy and content and comfortable with it. And I wonder if there's a lot of sin in your life or behavior or attitudes or practices that are destructive, but you've just been in it so long that you've accepted it and you've gotten comfortable with it and you've just kind of just been content with it. And you're in partial victory because you can honestly look at your life and say, Pastor, I have not been set free from this. That is what a strategy looks like for Satan. I just want you to experience partial victory. That's why when this evil spirit grabbed that boy, it wasn't constant. Because had it been constant, they would have ran to God sooner. But because it was up and down and it wasn't always like this and there's some good days and bad days, they got comfortable with it. In fact, this is a strategy that even Pharaoh used against the people of God that God wanted to set free from bondage. Look with me in Exodus chapter 8, verse 28. Did you know that Pharaoh, everyone thinks he was stubborn, he didn't want to let them go? That's not true. Pharaoh wanted to let them go, but notice what Pharaoh said. All right, go on ahead, Pharaoh replied. I'll let you go. I'll let you go into the wilderness. I'll let you offer your sacrifices to the Lord your God, but don't go too far away. Now hurry and pray for me. And in a sarcastic way. You know what Pharaoh's strategy was? I'm going to let them go. I'm going to let them go and pray and and be with God and worship and, and sacrifice. But when they're all done, I don't want them to go very far away. So I want them to come right back to their bondage. And that's what the devil wants to do to you. You think the devil is bothered that you're in church this morning? The devil doesn't care that you're worshiping. The devil doesn't care that you're listening to Pastor David preach right now. The devil doesn't care that you volunteer in the ministry. Because the devil knows when all of this is done, you're going to go right back to your bondage. And like Pharaoh said, don't go too far away. You see, a lot of us, we're never going to get far with God because we stay right where we're at in our bondage. And we get comfortable. And we get complacent and content. But yet every Sunday we'll go to church, we'll pray, we'll give, we'll sing, we'll serve. But then come Monday, or some of you this afternoon... You'll be right back to your bondage. The devil knows as soon as forward is over, you'll be right back to your sin. Right back to your immorality. Right back to your anger. Right back to your lust. Right back. Do you think that's freedom? 
Do you think that's what Christ died for? For you to go to church and stay in bondage? That's the strategy that the devil used on this child. I'm not going to completely seize you. I'm just going to seize you partially. So that you'll have your good days and you're happy, but whenever I want, I know I'm going to come right back to your life and grab you. And that's where the devil has a lot of you. You've not truly been set free. What I love about this man is that partial victory was not enough. He, he didn't say, you know what, I know he's possessed by a demon. I know that an evil spirit has him. But, but at least there's some days he's fine. There's some days he wakes up okay. There's some days he's back to normal. So it's better than, than being in complete demonic possession. So I'm okay with that. No, there was something about this man that when he heard Jesus was in town, he got tired of living in partial victory. He got tired of the devil seizing him whenever he wanted. He got tired of living in this up and down life and saying, well, some days I'm good, some days I'm bad. There's something in this man that says, I'm not going to settle for partial anymore. I want complete victory and it can only happen in Jesus' name. And he ran to Jesus. And he said, Lord, help me. Because I'm tired of living this partial victory. I'm tired of the devil just having me whenever he wants. I'm tired of going a week or two, fine, but then all of a sudden just giving in again and being seized by this temptation again. I'm tired. And something in him believed that the king had one more move. But see, here's the problem. Why did this man live in partial victory? Verse 17 and 19 says it all. Verse 17 and 19, he said, one of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, teacher, with confidence, he said, I brought, I brought my son so you could heal him. He's possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. But look at verse 19, what Jesus says. And Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? And notice what Jesus said, bring the boy to me. Now it seems like there's a contradiction here. Or someone is lying or someone is wrong. And I can guarantee that it's not Jesus, amen? And in verse 17, this man said with confidence, I brought you my son. But in verse 19, Jesus says, bring me your son. So what's it? What is it? Even though this man thought he truly brought this to Jesus, he really didn't. He brought it to the disciples. He brought it to a source that wasn't going to help. That wasn't going to deliver. 
And he told Jesus with anger, I'm frustrated because I brought you my child, but nothing happened, nothing worked. But in verse 19, Jesus says, why don't you really bring him to me? And I was convicted of this because I believe that some of the problems in our lives, they never truly change and we remain frustrated because we truly never surrender it to God. We might say things like, Lord, I give you this problem. Lord, please help me with this. Lord, please just just fix this for me. But you really truly haven't surrendered what has you in agony over to God. And some problems in our lives, they never truly change. And we remain in bondage because we do not truly surrender it to God. What does it mean? When I say, surrender it to God. 1 Peter 5, 6 through 8. Peter tells the church, humble yourself. Therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. What does it mean to humble yourself and give it to God? He says, Cast all your anxieties on Him. How many of you have anxiety right now? Worry, panic, fear, trying to figure out what's my next move? What am I going to do? What happens if this happens? How am I going to get out of this? And you have all this pressure and all this anxiety that keeps you up at at night. It robs you of your peace. It robs you of your joy. We live in a culture of constant stress and constant anxiety, trying to figure out what's next, what's going to happen, trying to figure out what if and what am I going to do, trying to fix and solve and heal, trying to say, Lord, I got to get out of this. And we're living with constant anxiety. We seek pills for it. We drink for it. We buy stuff for it. We say, listen, I need to get out of this anxiety. And anxiety plagues your mind. Anxiety plagues you so much. And God says, all you got to do is cast it. You can't help having the anxiety, but God says you can't cast it. This man did not truly cast this boy out to Jesus. Bible says, cast all your anxiety on Him. And here's why. Now go back. Verse 7. Because He cares for you. Do you realize that the King of kings, the Lord of all lords, the God of this universe, the God that created all things to existence, He looks at you right now and that little problem that you are losing sleep over, that thing that has you crying in tears, that thing that you're worried about, God says, would you just give me that? Because I care about you. Church, God cares about us. He cares about what you care about. He says... Cast all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Verse 8. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Isn't it ironic that where you have anxiety, the devil is close? 
The devil is not far when you're living with constant worry. And Peter warns the church not to live in anxiety because the devil roams around and he's seeking someone to destroy. And the truth is, anxiety is destroying so many people's mental health today. Living in bondage. And God says, I care enough that I want you to cast your anxiety on me. You guys feel like learning today? This is going to get a little deeper now. You guys ready? All right. When you read words like cast, it literally means to throw. To throw. It's the same Greek word used to describe the same way the disciples threw their garments to Jesus when he got on the donkey to ride into Jerusalem. Look at Matthew 21, verse 7 through 8. They brought the donkey and the colt to him. And what? Threw their garments. They threw their garments on the donkey, on the colt. And he sat on it. Now notice this next verse. Most of the crowd, these are the ones that weren't really believers, they denied him a week after, but most of the crowd, they spread their garments on the road on him. So the disciples, they threw their garments on Jesus. But then there were other people in the crowd that just spread their garments on Jesus. You know, pastor, what's the difference? What's the point? That word garment in the Greek literally means it's the word tali. It's a prayer shawl. And let me show you an example of what a prayer shawl looks like. But here you have a prayer shawl. And on every prayer shawl, it says King of Kings and Lord of Lords on the collar. And even today, when you pray, you wear this over your head as a sign of submission to God, saying, Lord, you cover me. And you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And this is a sacred garment that the Jews wear. And what's interesting is that as the disciples knew that Jesus was the King of kings and the Lord of lords, they got their garments which represented God's authority and prayer and they threw it on the donkey. Let me use this right now. They put it on the donkey and said, Jesus, sit on it. You're on it. Because God wants you to know whatever you're praying about, He's on it. And He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the King that says, I have one more move. What's interesting though is that disciples, they cast, they threw the garment on Jesus saying, you are God, we surrender, here it is. But there's another group of people that they did not throw their garments. You know what they did? They said, here, Lord. Here. Yay, Jesus. Hosanna. Yeah, which is a Hebrew word out of the Greek that literally means, Lord, save us, help us. It comes from the Hebrew origins, Hosanna, which literally means save and rescue, please. 
So you have people that spread their garments and said, Lord, help us. Lord, help. Please help us, Lord. Please, please, God, help us with this problem. But the minute Jesus walked by, they said, okay, that was good. That was nice. And they rolled it up, took it back in their hands, and went off with their day. See, that's why a lot of you still live with stress. That's why a lot of you still live with anxiety. Because when you really believe in Jesus, you throw it on him. And you're saying, Lord, it's yours. You're the king. You're the Lord. You're in control. I'm not going to handle this anymore. It's on you, Lord. You're on it. But see, there are some other people that say, okay, Lord, help us. Please save us. Please, Lord, help this situation. But the minute you pray and you know what you do, you give it back to yourself and put it back in your hands. And God wants to know, did you let it go? Because I see it in your hands still. And there are some situations in Jesus' name should not be in your hands anymore. You need to just let it go. Truly throw it to the Lord. Why? Because you care for me. Because you have a plan and you're in control. And Lord, I'm sorry that sometimes I pray and I say, Lord, help me. Lord, I surrender this. But I'm guilty of bringing it back in my own hands and say, okay, now that I prayed about it, what am I going to do? Can I get a witness? Am I the only one? Come on, I'm not the only crazy person that says, Lord, uh, please help it. Lord, I surrender it to you. But the minute after you're done praying, you go back to planning. What am I going to do? How am I going to do it? What am I going to do? How am I going to... Listen, have you truly surrendered that which you need deliverance for it over to God? Or are you one of those that just give it to God, praise Him a little, but then you quit to get it back in your hands? See, the reason that they would wear this was an honor to God. It was a way of demonstrating to God everything I'm praying about is under your submission in humility, I can do nothing about it. In humility, I give it to you, Lord. That's why this man said, I gave it to you, God. I gave it to you, Jesus. Lord, I surrendered it to you. And in verse 19, Jesus says, bring it to me. Because a lot of us, we're like the other people in the crowd. We just kind of give something to God, but then we just quickly take it back. But see, the disciples said, it's not, Lord, I don't want it in my hands. I believe you're the king, Lord, so here it is. And they threw it. That's what it means to cast. To cast it. If you're living with this partial victory, and you're tired of the devil just seizing you whenever he wants, God says, you can come to me and cast, throw it all on me because I care for you. What's so sad about this passage, as we come to a close here, and I think about how many things have you discouraged, worried, how many things do you think you really brought to the Lord, but you're saying, God, I'm still, it hasn't changed. It hasn't happened yet. I wonder how many things you pray about, but you still take back into your hands. 
This man was living in partial victory because he truly did not bring that child to Jesus. What really struck me as amazing is that in Luke's account of this story, in Luke chapter 9, verse 42 and 43, this is what's amazing about this passage. The Bible says in Luke chapter 9, verse 42, he says, let me get over there. You guys okay this morning? It says, the boy came forward. You know what I love about this? Is that Jesus said, bring me that boy. And on Luke's account, the man, the father was bringing that boy forward. He was living in obedience. He was saying, Lord, here it is. Lord, I'm bringing you my child. I'm tired of the devil having him. I'm tired of partial victory. Lord, I'm coming. I'm coming. Lord, here it is. I'm bringing him to you. And wouldn't you know, as the boy came forward, the demon knocked him to the ground. Have you ever been there where you're saying, okay, God, this is it. I'm bringing you my problem. Lord, I'm surrendering to you. And then something happens that knocks you down. And when I read that, I felt in my heart that this is what our church has gone through. This is what you're going through. And some of you came this morning to this church and you have been knocked down. And a situation has knocked you down. And this month has knocked you down. And you feel like everything has knocked you down. As this man was bringing this son over to Jesus, as he was about to throw it and give it to the Lord, the devil said, I got one more move. And the devil grabbed him one more time and knocked the boy out to the ground and threw him into a violent convulsion. But guys, you have to get this. But Jesus rebuked the evil spirit and healed the boy. Now pause that verse for me because I want you to understand something. Does the Bible say, and Jesus got the boy up and then healed him? What does the Bible say? While that boy was knocked down, Jesus performed his miracle. Why is it so significant that Luke said this? Because he wants the reader to know that even though you have been knocked down, and I believe a lot of you have been knocked down, and you are at the ground right now, that even when you're at your lowest, and life has knocked you down, and the devil has knocked you down, Jesus still does his best work. Jesus still works miracles while you're down. You don't have to get yourself up and say, okay, now that I'm happy, now that I'm strong, now that I'm good, now God can work in my life. No, God says even when you're at your worst and the devil has knocked you down, I could still work mighty miracles. I can still deliver. I can still heal. I can still work. I can still bless. I can still revive. I can still set free when you're at your worst, when you're down, when the devil has knocked you down, I can still work because I still have one more move. And it's not over yet. And every Sunday I see a lot of you come in I say, oh, she's been knocked down. Oh, he's knocked down. And maybe you came to this church this morning you're saying, Pastor, I've been knocked down. 
But even while that boy was down, Jesus healed him. And the Bible said this, notice this. But Jesus rebuked that evil spirit and healed the boy. Then he gave him back to his father. Church, can I ask you an honest question? Did you notice that Jesus gave the boy back to his father? I want you to answer this truthfully to yourself. What is it in your life you've lost that you want God to bring back? Do you want God to bring back your joy? Do you want God to bring back your marriage? Do you want God to bring back your child? Do you want God to bring back your hope? Notice that when Jesus was done, he gave the boy back to the Father. Because that's the kind of God you serve. And in Mark chapter 9, verse 26 through 27, while this boy was knocked down and threw him into a convulsion violently, notice that the boy was violently in a convulsion and it left him. He was healed. He was set free. But the boy appeared to be dead. And a murmur ran through the crowd as people said, He's dead. He's dead. Imagine you're this father and you're saying, Jesus, I brought you my son. I brought you my child. And now it appears like it's dead. But let this story always remind you that it's not always as it appears. And even though everyone was saying it's over, it's dead, he's dead, you brought it to Jesus and things got worse, but Jesus took him by the hand and helped him up. And he stood again. And I believe this morning there's a lot of you that need to stand up again. There's a lot of you that have been down, there's a lot of you that have been knocked down and you're saying, Lord, I don't know what to do anymore. I don't know how I can fix this. I don't know how. But Lord, right now, I have a choice. Am I going to humble myself and, and give this to you and cast it on you? Or am I just going to spread and pray a nice prayer and tell you that I need help, but then bring it back to my hands and under my control? And there are some things in your hands that will never be changed unless you surrender it upon the Lord this morning. Let's all stand to our feet today. And as we close this series out, I know that some of you this morning, you've been knocked down. Some of you this morning, it feels like the devil is winning. It feels like the devil has you on checkmate. You have no escape. You're living with constant fear. You're living with constant anxiety and worry. And you're wondering, how am I going to do this? How am I going to get out? When is this going to change? And right now the Lord is calling you to cast your anxiety on Him. Some of you are seeking a miracle right now. I know my family is right now with their dog seeking a miracle. And that's something that even God cares about because He cares about what you care about. 
Maybe you have a child that's a prodigal right now and is away from the church and out in the world and you care so much to see them come back. The Lord cares about that too. And it's not in your hands that you're going to see that child come back, but in the hands of God. So it's time for you to bring it truly to the Lord and cast it upon Him because He's the King of kings that has one more move. There's a desire in your heart that right now you're thinking, how is this ever going to happen? Cast it to the Lord. And if you've been knocked down this morning, I believe this word is for you. That even when you're at your worst and you're down right now, the Lord can still work a miracle. So right now, if you're in need of a miracle right now, as we close this series, I want us as a church to pray. You guys, come forward right now. Come on. You're saying, God, I need to surrender this once and for all. Come on. Whatever it is, whatever you're aware I know all of us should be up here right now. There is something in your life you're saying, God bless you, Kevin. Come on. It's time for you to give it up. It's time for you to say, God, I can't fix this. I can't handle this. I don't know what to do about this. It may be a job, it may be a health problem, it may be a child, it may be a marriage, it may be a family member, it may be a dream of yours that's right now the devil has knocked down and the devil has you at your worst. It could be a sin, an addiction, a behavior. The Bible says to cast your cares upon him, for he cares for you. And as we pray, we pray because we are humbling ourselves. By you coming forward today, you are humbling yourself and you're saying, God, I can't do this without you. Lord, I need a miracle. Lord, the devil has me in partial victory. Whatever it is right now, I want you guys to spend a moment there with the Lord. As Frankie sings this song for us, and we close this entire series today, there's a point in your life that you're at your worst and you are knocked down, but then Jesus comes and has the last move. Jesus comes and has the last word. So the devil might think he's had you won. The devil might think that you are knocked down beyond recovery, but I believe in Jesus' name there are things in your life that are going to come back, things you thought were lost. So whatever it is, you pray this with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I surrender this to you. Tell him what it is. Let's pray, church. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. We thank you for this word. We know that the devil has knocked us down. But even when we're down, Lord, you are at work doing miracles. Father, we thank you that you are the king of kings that has one more move. And when the devil thinks he's won, Father, we've read the ending of the story in the Bible. And we know that he lost a long time ago. So we can walk in victory. So I pray, Father, you take all the prayers, all the petitions, all the worries and stresses of life as we surrender them and throw them to you. 
They're in your hands now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. Come on, give God some praise today. Amen. And amen. As we make our way back to our seats this morning, I want to thank you guys for being. You guys survived Hell Series 2021. I hope you guys were blessed by this series on the Devil's Workshop. Next Hell Series, next October, will be even greater, even more in-depth and detail. But I pray that this series was a blessing to your life. We are off to a great start. How many of you feel like the devil has lost? You're on your way now to see God work a great miracle in your life. Come on, give God some praise this morning. Amen.